We have a lot to be thankful for, huh? Seriously. And uh, the challenges of life have all been worth it because they have enhanced um, knowing him. And um, the struggles are vain if there's not an end goal, if there's not a destination. It's futile. You can't take it with you. Your awards, your accomplishments, they end here. And this isn't eternal. But did we love? And more importantly, did we believe? Did we believe in him? And are we loyal to that belief in him? I was um, on my desk. I've been putting uh, notes, and uh, I have a thought for direction for Christmas Eve, and I jog it, jot it down a couple words. And, you know, those post-it notes that are all over the place, if you have a working desk or whatever, you know, gets messy, who cares, you know, as long as your wife leaves you alone, it's all good, right? And uh, it's, it, the trouble is when she comes and cleans it, then I lose everything. And uh, I looked at that in the beginning and, uh, of, uh, I think, the end of last week, beginning of this week, and I looked at it and I, uh, I'm like, no, nah, that's, you know, and I'm going to go this direction. And something caused me in that to just come, I mean, logically to the Christmas story here in, uh, in, in Luke. And um, I've had this uh, <laughs> amazing time with that. And um, all week I have been consumed, not so much in preparing for tonight, but... Um, the story and all of the events and all of the prophecies on the moment that this came to pass that Jesus, the Son of God, was born here and the where he was born and the how he was born and the sovereign way that God directed so many incredibly impossible things. And one of uh, the big discoveries or things I woke up to as I read this story was something unique about Bethlehem that I, I had not paid attention to before. And so we have this story, of course, where, and half the stories here and half the stories in Matthew, and there are things in Matthew that aren't in Luke and things in Luke that aren't in Matthew. And so the Gospels, as a culmination, tell the story, put it all together. And uh, Joseph, poor Joseph, he had a little bit of an issue finding out that Mary was pregnant, as you would. He was thinking about 
doing plan A, the logical thing, which wasn't pretty, but he had every right to. And uh, again, the Lord intervenes, gives him a dream. When he wakes up from that dream, he does everything that, the, <laughs> that he was told to do. He takes her as his wife. He's assured this is, this is not what you think it is. This is from me. And somehow, somewhere, he grabbed a hold of the faith to believe that. This is not going to look good to the relatives or anybody else that knows you. And then, to make matters worse, and there are a lot of details in there, a lot of the story, she's getting closer to the time the fullness of time to have this baby, and we don't realize how impactful this decree is that chapter 2 starts out with, during the days of the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus, ordered that the first census be taken throughout his empire. Everyone had to travel to his or her her hometown to complete the mandatory census. So Joseph and and Mary, his betrothed, which he took her as his wife, they left Nazareth, a village in Galilee, and journeyed to their hometown in Judea to the village of Bethlehem. So looking at a map, Nazareth is north, of Bethlehem and north of Jerusalem. And depending, I was reading, looking for facts and distances and things like that, just really revisiting the whole story. And um, one, uh, one person said, walking there, like there's a straight line, it's 70 some miles, but walking is 90 miles. With a wife that's so pregnant that by the time they get there, she's ready to go. And there must have been a lot of pressure to take that trip. As you know, if you're a man and you have a wife and that, especially that firstborn, it's a little nerve-wracking, like, you know, like you're just on edge. Especially when you get close to the time. Bags are packed, ready, you know, a couple false alarms. And, uh, and then how many of you remember the drive to the hospital or wherever you went or w- with your firstborn? Probably not the most, you know, I doubt if you're whistling on the way. Let's just put it that way. No one talks about men and the stress. Some are clueless. I get it. But many of us are like a nervous wreck, like you just don't know what you're in for. And you hope you get there, and then once you get there, they put you someplace or whatever, you know? Now it's a little better, you're allowed in the room, but it could, yeah, it was weird. There's a lot at stake, and at least you have the relief of getting them to the hospital. Joseph, finally with his wife, and I don't know that there was a donkey. That's just in our, you know, nativity scenes, whatever. I don't think there was. But you have to understand the resilience of a young woman that's pregnant is amazing. I've watched our young women, and they're pregnant, fully pregnant, and they're still buzzing around and nesting and doing all these things. And I'm like, wow, you know, we just went through this with Jenna. 
helping get their house ready, and she was there at the end, like totally like any moment now. And she's just like, wow, woman, you know, here, you know, here we are, you know, waddling here. Amazing ability, stamina, um, and it's like, yeah, actually, if you're healthy, it's amazing what women can do. Somehow, some way, they made this trip, but now the stress, if there wasn't any already, there's no place. We're customarily, and in some of our, in our translations, there was no room for the end, but the, the issue was with uh, actually anybody that studied this, scholars, etc., cetera, uh, the word there is... Um, Cataluma, and it means upper room. There was no room in the, in the upper room. The upper room was the guest room in people's homes. And that was how you, there probably wasn't a big enough city. Some say it was big, some say it wasn't big, you know. There wasn't a, there wasn't a place in anybody's house because all of these people, have you ever seen what happens when a big event takes place in a small town? It just jams it up. I mean, there are different instances. You know, you have an event. Let's like, let's have a big event, and then you have an event, and it just shuts everything down. It's like too big. The capacity's not there. Place was full. We know it was Bethlehem, but what we don't know is where was this manger and what was this manger. That's what we don't know. Interestingly enough. In these verses in chapter 2, verse 4 maybe, verse 12, and maybe uh, a little later, uh, verse, uh, I think, 16, it always says, is interpreted almost always as a manger. When the instruction, this visitation from the angels come, to the shepherds out in the field. They get this announcement. Here's the sign. You'll find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. But actually, and I, I was watching a, uh, somebody that really was good with Hebrew, and they, they did a video, and they're showing all of these, all of these texts and the words that are, that are used here. And it's not an A, it's the it's, a, it's an article that implicates a certain major. And it kind of starts to change everything. And then the discovery that part of, part of Bethlehem was a place, an extension, something very significant about Bethlehem. And it was called Migdal Eder the tower of the flocks that was right outside and what I learned that wrecked me that I should have known before but didn't is that this was the birthing place this tower just outside of town the birthing place for all the sacrifice lambs that would go to Jerusalem, to the temple. 
because Jerusalem's only four to five miles away from Bethlehem. It would be like the distance from Summitville to Hanoverton or Ed Ridgeway's house. It's close. It's fast in our cars, right? This was where a special flock was kept on the hillsides for this single purpose to birth and bring the lambs that would be used in the temple sacrifice. One commentator said three lambs a day through the week and eight on the Sabbath. I mean, the Jewish people, they were really serious about this. It was very involved. If you see how much went into being a holy nation before Jesus Christ, take a look. Then we come casually to our faith, and it's just hard to understand how much is in this. And then I found another thing that just wrecked me. That another couple journeying in the same situation had come to this very place. And it's clear back in Genesis 35. And it was Jacob and Rachel. And it says they came near, they were making the same trek only uh, Jacob had just been in Bethel, had built an altar, had an amazing encounter with God. That's why many churches use the name Bethel in them. Like, it's a great name to use. It means presence of God. God shows up like, yeah, it's good. He had just had this amazing encounter, gets right down here to Migdal uh, Eder, this place spelled M-I-G-D-A-L, E-T-E-R, E-D-E-R, Tower of the Flocks. And Sarah, Rachel, Rachel, his wife, goes into hard labor. And of course, they stop because there's a group caravan traveling with them. Logically, there would be because there were a lot of people involved in their company. And she goes to give birth, and her midwife tells her the child will live, but she didn't. And she dies there in that place, and as she's dying, she says that her her son's name will be Benomi, which means son of sorrow. That's what she was feeling. But Jacob intervenes and says, says, no, his name will be Benjamin, son of my right hand. This was a perfect picture of Christ. He is both the son of sorrow and the son seated at the right hand. And when I... I'm just studying. This isn't me. I start several, not just several days at different times. I'd start weeping, realizing that Jesus was born in this place where the sacrificed lambs were raised. 
and that there was such a type of Abraham or of Jacob and Rachel being there because Jacob loved Rachel. It's a love story if you read it. And he loses her there. And then he moves on down towards, he sets up his tent just beyond Migdal Eder to set up his tents, which is Bethlehem. And so in the exact same place where Jesus is born, is all this history and God all the time orchestrating this. And somehow, this poor young husband, Joseph, and the stress of like, it's like, can he not be saying, I mean, it's not hard to imagine, God, what are you thinking? You said this is your baby. <laughs> Help here, please. Can't you see we're trying to live here? We're trying to survive here? We're trying to do what you say to do? And there's no place in the upper room. There's no place to have a baby. And many researchers and study, they believe when this message, this supernatural appearance came from the angels. And they said, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger, and there was actually at Migdal Eder a unique place where these lambs were birthed and inspected because they had to be without spot or blemish. There was a whole place here. It would be, I thought, this is an illustration. We have our little community of Summitville down here. Just outside of town is Summit Crest Farms that is several thousand acres. And in the day, they weren't raising beef cattle. They were raising breeding stock. And here we are in this little nowhere place. That farm was known around the world. If any of you know, is that not true? That, and we don't even, I mean, when a calf was dropped, I don't even want to, I don't, I can't guess what certain certain count what they were worth, the value. This wasn't just sheep, so this wasn't just common shepherds. Very likely, these were Levite priests that were given charge of watching these flocks. And when those angels spoke to them, this is why I'm like, I got wrecked. I'm like, whoa, there's more to, a lot more to this story and said, you'll find a babe in swaddling clothes in the manger, they knew exactly where to run to. They knew where, they said, they, it says, they made haste. We got to see this. Why? Because this is the promise. And when a lamb was born, it was so important that it did not bruise itself, hurt itself. And so they wrapped it in pieces of cloth, swaddling cloth, that were made from the garments of the priests once they had gotten worn, then there were a couple things that they would tear those up for and use them, special things that they would use them for. And so there were probably supplies at this place. If Joseph would have known that, he'd be like, no room, 
I know where there's room. We're going to that barn. We're going to that place, not a barn. It's, yeah. But to that place. And when those shepherds, not normal shepherds, walk in and see this baby and see that it looks just like a lamb, it would have been a stone trough. We have this little manger thing we make because we have wood, right? But it was a stone trough that was a feeding trough and was hewn out. And that same trough was used to set the lamb on and swaddle it or bind it. Again, you can see Jesus through this whole thing, can't you? As a baby, at the end of his life, bound, swaddled. They walk in and see what was normally a lamb and see this baby. And they know who this is. They, they know what they're looking at. They take off, and they're like, go tell it on the mountain, right? I mean, they're talking. This was such a huge event. The coming forth, the coming of Emmanuel. Everybody it touched. I mean, how it got rejected is inconceivable. It was an amazing story. Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, was a priest. He has an encounter in the temple, which for priests, that's not really what they're looking for. You have an encounter, you're probably a dead man. Tradition says they tie a rope to their leg when they went into the Holy of Holies. He wasn't there. In case something happened, like, it was a, it was a, it was serious. We make, uh, God so common, but without the blood of Jesus, he's dangerous, he's scary. He has an encounter with an angel, tells him, don't be afraid, they always have to say that, that your wife's going to become pregnant. He's like, uh, I think we're past that time, you know that, like, right You get to that point where someone asks you're pregnant, you're like, uh, I think we're beyond that. It's like, that's impossible. The angel says, I'll tell you what, here's, this is going to be a sign to you. You're not going to be able to speak until that baby's born. And he was mute from that moment on until they were trying to figure out the name of this baby because she did get pregnant right after that. When he speaks, he says, his name is John. And then, boom, he begins to prophesy. When Mary comes to visit Elizabeth, who went into hiding after she became pregnant, you would at that age, like, I'm going into seclusion. I, I just cannot bear the laughs, you know? Mary, who's just become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, comes to visit her, stays there three months. But when they see each other, the baby leaps in Elizabeth's womb. I mean, this is an impactful whole series of events. Elizabeth, whoa, and she begins to prophesy to Mary, which sets Mary off into a spiritual song that's this long. Every place this went, there was a, there was a big, big impact. These shepherds running around telling this story like, they weren't quiet about it. 
Then they take him to the temple to dedicate him. The coming of Christ was well marked and witnessed and authenticated. And the coming of Jesus in our lives is also well marked and authentic and real. So there's a lot to the story. We're small in our thinking sometimes, and we allow Christians and culture, I, I mean, we're not Christians, we allow our culture to take away. This is a phenomenal story. It doesn't need change. We don't need to create a Santa Claus. Like, we, it's, it's, it's irrelevant, but the story's magnificent. And man, I'm telling you, I had a week of just really looking and going after this. It rocked me, and it put the whole story in high definition for me. I have not had that. It's like you have an, you're never too old to have an awakening, huh? And I hope I continue to have awakenings with the Lord. And his promises and what he says for the rest of my life. I'm good with that. Just keep them coming. I might be slow to the table, but I'm going to eat. I'm hungry. I'm hungry for what the Lord has. And once it comes alive, you're not, it's not boring. It's not boring. I, I just poured over this. I'm looking up things and listening to people. and look, I'm like, whoa, this is amazing. This is amazing. And the story of Jesus in every one of our lives is amazing too. Let it come. Trust in the Lord. You may look and feel like you're between a rock and a hard place, but he, has, he is from heaven orchestrating everything. He pressed Mary and Joseph exactly into the place to have that baby. We can't prove that. But boy, a lot of people are looking at it going, wow, this is possible. So this Christmas, I want to bless you. Be blessed with the child, with the Son of God, the living God, the living Son. Let him be in your home. Honor him. Look to him. Do not despair. If there is a seed in you of faith, he will bring that to pass. He's not faint about his promises. And he'll work all of these sometimes tragedies into good for those that stay in. Stay in the race. Stay engaged. Don't let up. Don't give up. But turn again to renew your place with him, your walk with him. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name. In response to all you provided for us, and as we have believed, now out of that, we surrender to you. 
we give our lives to be a living sacrifice. And we posture ourselves to experience everything that you have for us. You are so, so good. I ask that you bless every family, watch over them, give them revelation, great times during this, this holiday season. We thank you. We honor you, Lord Jesus. Amen.